totally at the World Cup. I am a French. I have come here to defeat you. It's France awaiting in Sunday afternoon's World Cup final Didier Deschamps' Gallic symbols after their 1-0 win Tuesday night over neighbours Belgium in which they didn't so much park the bus as station their lorries. Who will the French face on Sunday? Wednesday's narrative-packed England-Croatia semi will decide. Can England be up to scratch against the team of itches? Will Gareth Southgate be on top of the world looking down on Croatia? It's while away, a little of the way together, we're totally at the World Cup. It's the day. In less than 24 hours' time, we will know whether England are going to be in the World Cup final, in the Luzhniki Stadium, in Moscow. Michael Cox. Hi, James. Tom Williams. Hello, James. James Horncastle. All fresh. (laughs) Excited. From seeing France book their spot in that match of matches. Who are they going to be facing? It all depends on the outcome of Wednesday's big game. Of course, if England don't win against Croatia, they're into the third, fourth playoff, which is, you know, some consolation, Michael. Yeah, as my friend Jimmy just texted me, uh, it could be England B against Belgium B twice in the same tournament. So uh, (laughs) let's hope our boys get some revenge. What a prospect. No, because they're not going to play each other probably. Well, you you know. know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, who isn't going to be in the third, fourth playoff is France because they did Belgium. They did indeed. Um, a very sort of Didier Deschamps performance in that Belgium started very brightly um, and were on top for most of the first half. France weathered that pressure, finished the first half strongly, go ahead early on in the second half through a set piece and then see the game out quite comfortably. Mm. Um, and on they go. It was like watching an adult cause just keeping a toddler at, at arm's length. You know, just ready to step it up, intervene if they needed to at any point. Absolutely. I think that's another surprising thing about this French team is they're, I think, the youngest team left in the competition. And yet, semi-final didn't seem to phase the, them. Are they the youngest team left? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now that Nigeria gone, and I think, I'm pretty sure they were younger than England. They're the, they're the youngest mm. team left. And, wow. uh, I mean, you look at the guy who attracted so much attention tonight, it was Kylian Mbappe. Um, even though he didn't score, some of his trickery, some of his moves, his, his runs in that first half uh, really caught the eye. But again, you know, it's a, a very disciplined and controlled French performance, which, you know, as we mentioned, you know, for this for this young group of players is is all the more impressive. And I think we've, we saw that against Uruguay and we saw it again tonight where, particularly late on, they seem to be quite content to just sit back, soak it up and break when they had the opportunity. Tom, for anyone who missed the game, could you give us like a one-sentence summary? So you had a, a strong and very purposeful start by Belgium, who were the better team for the first half an hour or so. Then France got back into the game, finished the first half strongly, and then five minutes into the second half, corner comes in for Antoine Griezmann, and Samuel Titi heads them into the lead. Like this. Oh. 
Joining us now from St. Petersburg, Julien Laurent. Jules, how does it feel to be French right now, mon ami? <laughs> oh, guys, it feels great to be French. It's, uh, it's a great win. It was a mature performance, so it's not one of those you know, incredible games where you, you go through a lot of emotions, but they were solid. It's the, the third World Cup final in the last six six World Cups, which is you know an amazing con consistency. If, if you think about it, it's the second final in a row in a big tournament after the Euros two years ago. And yeah, it, it feels good to be back where we belong. Jules, were you wrong about Didier Deschamps? Listen, he's a conservative manager. He's a defensive-minded manager. I've got... This is not my cup of tea. This is not how I would use the talent that is in his French team to play. But he, that's, what, that's what he does. That's his philosophy. It's working. The day we'll stop winning, then question will be asked, of course. And as long as he's winning, there's nothing much you can say. And, you know, he answered the critics after the Argentina game when he walked in the press conference and said, well, you know, now you, you're clapping me, but you were not clapping me before because he was, you, you know, he was criticised in the, in the group stage. So... It's just not the way I would play and the way I would use the French talent that he has at his disposal. But that's the way he's chosen and clearly the results are there. So you need to give him credit. But let's see in the final because, you know, I think he lost the, the Euros final two years ago because, he, because of that conservatism. And I just hope he's learned from that for the final to come now here. Interesting. <laughs> As you say, a very professional performance from Didier's boys. Looked like they... They even held something back even at the end of the game. They were just happy to sit and watch until they needed to intervene. Yeah, I mean, it was also the case against Uruguay, I thought, in the quarterfinal where they were so well organised, so well drilled. Everybody knew what they had to do. Uh, and, you know, before every time France did something in a, in a big tournament, there was always one... Um, you know, one outstanding player leading the team. So we had Raymond Coppa in the 50s and then obviously Platini and Zidane. But this, this generation feels a bit more like a collective strength, more than, you know, one incredible player guiding the others, if you want. I mean, maybe in four years' time, Mbappe would be that kind of guy. But, but right now, it feels more like a, of a unit. And I think they showed that by the way they worked tonight. And, and it was good to see them performing like they did tonight, I think, with that maturity and, again, that solidity that they showed in every department. And I think also the, the big players turned up, which was not the case for, for Belgium, you know. But, but, but I thought for us, like all the big guys who, who were supposed to have a big game had one. Jules, are you nervous for Sunday? Are you tense? Yeah, I am already. Of course I am. Because, you know, I was there in, in 2006 and they lost. I was there in 2016 and they lost as well. I think I'm hoping they would have learned from 2016. And they look in much better shape mentally and, and physically as well than they were than they, than they were two years ago. I think they certainly have grown in maturity since two years ago, and it looks it looks better. And also two years ago, they completely underestimated that Portugal team, and they thought they were a bit, they were a bit complacent and arrogant. And I don't think they would make the same mistake whoever they play, whether that's England or Croatia, on Sunday. So I, I would I would say that they are better prepared for for the final this time round than they were two years ago, for example. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Michael, Julian says Belgium's big players didn't turn up, but it was tight though, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't really agree with that. I think uh, a lot of the time in, in semi-finals or tight games like this, after the first goal goes in, we suddenly go crazy about how good that team were. But it was a bit of a lucky goal from a set piece. And I thought the first half hour, as Tom rightly points out, Belgium were excellent. I thought Hazard was taking the game to him. He had that change of speed. De Bruyne, I think, was constantly involved. Played a couple of good passes that didn't quite find the target. And for me, it just seemed to be one of those games where 
whoever got the first goal was was going to see it out because I think both sides are good defensively. Um, you know, Belgium's centre backs are very good, and I thought uh, Umtiti was good apart from the goal, and Varane was outstanding at the back. Um, mm. But you know, it was tight. I thought Loris had another. Uh, big game um, and to be honest I think the knockout stages we've seen some really great performances from goalkeepers um, Courtois against Brazil Pickford um, in that game uh, against Sweden and yeah Loris in both of France's last two games um, they've really managed to keep sort of matches on the knife edge and um, yeah I think again Loris tonight came up big time for his team yeah and you don't was... want to go a goal behind against France you don't know um They've become a very Didier Deschamps team and the very exciting thing about French football in the last two years has been the emergence of all these super talented attacking players and the France team that has got to the final only contains one of them, Kylian Mbappé, and I think it's legitimate to wonder what a more enterprising coach might have done with the resources at his disposal, but what Deschamps has done is A, he's found a formula that that works for the team and B he's turned this very young group of players as James was saying into a team of, of quite hardened winners when they had that very knockabout game with Argentina in the last 16 uh, I think 4-3 probably flattered Argentina quite a lot because they weren't ever really in that game but from then on um, 2-0 against Uruguay very convincing, very comfortable. And then, again, a, a very disciplined 1-0 win against a, a super talented Belgium team. And they look like they have learnt how to grind their way through through knockout matches. And I think you would have said, even before we knew the outcome of the France-Belgium game, that the winner of that would be the favourite for the final. And I, th- I think looking at the way France have, have played against Belgium, I think that's only reinforced that. Mm. Are there any of the Belgian players that you would maybe point an accusatory finger at? No, not really. I, th- I thought they all played fairly well. I think Did the Lukaku disappoint particularly? I mean, he had a couple of half chances. Maybe he could have anticipated better, but I don't think he played badly. I think he was denied a lot of space by the centre-backs. To be honest, I think it was quite a high-quality game. Mm. I mean, maybe it wasn't the game we expected. I mean... I was talking to friends beforehand and everyone was predicting a 3-2. No one seemed to know which way it would be. It was not that kind of game. It was very tight. France was so deep and so compact. Giroud was playing halfway inside his own half. But I thought actually the the level of touch on the ball, the level of passing, it wasn't this kind of frantic pressing contest that we've seen a lot at club level recently. It was a bit more patient, a bit more reserved. I think that did bring the best out of some of the technical players. I thought Hazard, as I say, was excellent. And then Mbappe, who um, I gather is now... Almost odds-on favourite for the best uh, best player of the tournament really, voting. Yeah. Um, he's probably only played well in one and a half games. But... but it's funny, it's almost the threat of what he can do more than what he does. Yeah, and it's just the little flashes. There was that chance he created for Giroud, I think, oh. at the start of the second half, where it took me three or four replays to work out precisely what he'd done. Right. Um, he's just so exciting. And that change of pace is, as everyone said, it's kind of Ronaldo in 98 or maybe Michael Owen in 98. That, you know, just incredible change of pace over the first 10 yards is so exciting and the gamesmanship that he seems to have learnt from Neymar <laughs> yeah. which you know got him a got him a little kick in the Uruguay game and again he was at it um, tonight um, you know be it not allowing Belgium to take throw-ins, you know, sort of irritating Vertonghen. Vertonghen yes. had a, a busy night with with him from the very first minute when, when Mbappé blazed past everyone and put that cross in for Giroud, who didn't have a spectacular night, I would suggest. Not in front of goal, which has been the theme for him throughout the tournament, but I think in terms of, of in terms of his defensive work and his link play, I mean, what we saw an awful lot of the time when Belgium had possession was that every French player was behind the ball 
and Giroud and Griezmann play a really important role in, in that defensive shape. They do a lot of closing down in their own half and of course Giroud is very valuable with his height and his physical ability in both boxes so he still hasn't scored a goal at this World Cup. I don't think there's any danger of him being dropped for the final because he's someone who Deschamps trusts to do a job, both in terms of the way he links up with his his uh, fellow forward players and also defending in his own box. It's almost like he grew up watching Stéphane Guivache up front for <laughs> France in, in, in the 98 World Cup. How do you beat them? How do you beat France? I do you think there's some weaknesses down the right? Mbappe's incredible going forward, doesn't really support Pavard a lot. I think there's some space to be found there. I think you have to be patient, really, because they they do have a lot of counter-attacking potential. And I think there's a danger that you can throw too many men forward and be done on the counter-attack. I think France probably should have scored a second goal tonight, actually, when Belgium pushed forward. There's a couple of bad decisions. Mbappe, actually, at one point, really messed up a three-on-three. But they are looking very solid at the back. The two centre-backs are are having a good tournament. And Lloris, as James mentioned, a bit of a dodgy season at club level, to be Mm. fair, coming into this. But he's been outstanding. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, just on Lloris, as Michael was saying, you know, there have been question marks about him. He wasn't great in qualifying. There was that big blunder in the game against Sweden when he duffed the kick straight to Ola Toivonen. But he's produced some really big saves in this tournament. There was one, I think he prevented Tolisso from scoring an own goal in the opening game against Australia. That absolutely stupendous one-handed save from Martin Caceres in the Uruguay game. And then again against Belgium. Um, not the most difficult save he's had to make with the shot from Toby Alderweireld on the turn. But... He seems to have got back that that sense of, if not invincibility, then you're not as worried that he's going to make a mistake anymore, which has been the case for, for Tottenham, certainly the last couple of seasons. Um, and I think with a team like France, who who struggle sometimes to properly put games to bed, perhaps partly because they've got a conservative manager who, rather than put on an attacker like Ousmane Dembele to stretch the opposition on the break, sends on Steven and Zonzi as a, as a third centre-back, you need a goalkeeper who's going to give you that confidence. And it feels like Lloris is, is back at that level. Listeners, there are just a few shows left of our World Cup run, but as things wrap up in Russia, they're just getting started with this year's Tour de France and the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport is your essential guide to the other greatest sporting event on earth. Each week, Sir Brad and expert guests from around the cycling world will be analysing the leading contenders for the yellow jersey and looking back on the key events from the 21 stages of this year's tour. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Subscribe now on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. On to the other semi-final, and who's in that again? That's right, England taking on Croatia. It's such a huge game of such enormous historical significance that there's only one thing for it. We're going to need a montage. the best thing for me in recent days is seeing more England shirts out here in Russia. So many more fans have clearly travelled out. The mood is one of it's coming home, to put it very simply. That doesn't represent uh, a group of arrogant supporters who feel that their, their country should win this World Cup, but it does represent a support who are far less apathetic for the national team and are buying into this buoyant, optimistic mood amongst the squad that has bounced off supporters. For England, of course, it's a case of trying to play against a team that will be the first one who actually want to keep the ball against them. In Rakitic and Modric to have the outstanding midfield pairing. 
at this World Cup and England have to show that they can deal with uh, playing without the ball as well as they have done with it. As a 1991 baby, uh, this is my first England World Cup semi-final and I've got barely any nails left to buy after the Colombia match. Um, so here's to hoping that we cruise past Croatia like we did Sweden in the last round. Luka Modric is obviously the big name and Eric Dyer told us earlier that Modric is the star of the tournament so far, which means Jordan Henderson, who's struggled slightly with a hamstring strain, could be in for one hell of a night. It looks to me like this Croatia team physically but also emotionally exhausted. I think that's quite important after two shootout wins. England have had a slightly more serene progress and they look like they're growing in confidence, whereas I wonder if Croatia are at their limit. This is so redolent of 1996, when we were hosting Euro 96. That was my favourite summer hitherto, and I think it's being run very close by this one as a result of the England football performance. I make Croatia slight favourites, but England have a decent chance of going all the way to the final. If Raheem Sterling can drag out Domagos Vida, as he did with Swedish central defenders, and create a one-on-one -on -one between Harry Kane and Dejan Lovren, then England can look to exploit that. And I remember watching Spurs against Liverpool last season when Kane did exactly that one-on-one -on -one with Lovren and a repeat would be glorious for England. I do have confidence. I've got optimism for this England side. They just keep surprising us and I have every faith that they can do it again. Plus, if you need any more confirmation, any further signs that it is coming home, uh, even the waiters serving in the restaurants on the Red Square are wearing Southgate waistcoats. Kelly Summers, Anton Tului, Rory Smith, Emma Saunders and Raphael Honigstein in Russia and Daniel Storey and Matt Scott all lending us their opinions there uh, to the soundtrack of English Beefcake by James. Anyway, this, is kind of, this situation has kind of crept up on us, but England are now one game away from a World Cup final. Yes. How extraordinary would it be if, if they got through to it? Well, it would be. Yeah, it would be a, a huge achievement. I mean, I think... Uh... I don't want to take anything away from their achievements, but we've done well with the run. I mean, we haven't played any good teams so far. And what's happened is we've beaten the sides that we should have beaten. And even though it was a B team, we've lost to this, the side that are probably better than us. Uh, you know, it's different teams, as I say. So, yeah, it's been an impressive run. Yeah, J James, a couple of years on from that defeat to Iceland. Yeah, and just how uh, refreshing it all is, because I don't think any of us could have predicted that England, in the state they were in, when uh, Big Sam was caught with his pint of wine, would be where they are now. And um, this group of players as well, who um, Kane and Sterling aside, I think have been um, underestimated, really. And I just think it's it doesn't feel like the most talented England side that we've seen at a major tournament, but it feels like a, you know, a good group of players who enjoy playing for England, enjoy being away um, with each other. You know, you look at that kind of photo from you know, their days in Rapino where they're you know, in their unicorns in the swimming pool, mm. all having so much fun. Um, and I think that's a change. And I, I, the fact that there's, there doesn't seem to be any baggage. The fact that th I think three of the four teams, just to extend this beyond England, probably didn't expect to be here. Um, only France, I think, were forecast to get to the to the last four and maybe to the final. So I think all of the, all of the teams, you know, and this goes for Croatia as well, feel that they they're not as on they're not under pressure that they can go home and they would 
they would be celebrated regardless. And I think that's that's a great position to be in for these teams. Mm. Do you know who I think deserves a lot of credit? And this probably won't be a very popular view, but I really think that Roy Hodgson deserves a lot of credit. And Southgate's gone out of his way to say that he's done a very good job because if you look at the the players he took a chance on, he called up Deli Ali after three Premier League games. He called up Raheem Sterling after three Premier League games. He brought in Jesse Lingard when he wasn't a regular. He showed a lot of faith in John Stones at a slightly later point when he was making some mistakes at club level. And there's still this perception with Hodgson, I think because of the way he's generally played throughout his career, that he's a defensive manager, that he um, favours very organised sides. But if you look at the team we played uh, in the World Cup four years ago, it was pretty much four attackers. It was Welbeck, Sturridge, Rooney and Raheem Sterling. It was four attackers and we played pretty much the same, a different system, but also with four attackers with Rooney in midfield uh, at the Euros two years ago. And they didn't work out. But I think that really the shift towards a younger generation and an attacking style of football came as much from Hodgson as it has with Southgate. And that's not to say Southgate hasn't done a very good job in continuing that. And I think the the kind of mood around the squad seems a lot better. But I think it's been more of a gradual thing than just under Southgate. And I think, you know, England maybe have, have also learned from their mistakes two years ago. And learned from the managers that have arrived in the Premier League in the last two years. Yeah, no question. I mean, Pochettino, Guardiola, Klopp, you can look in this, in that side and see certain players playing certain roles that they wouldn't have played mm. without those managers. Um, I think that's been an absolutely massive part of the success. Tom, this is either going to be the biggest four days in English football in, in what, 50 years, or it could just be 90 minutes. What's your prediction? Oh, prediction. I think England will go through. And, yeah, as, as the lads have been saying, it's, it's a really exciting time. It's, it's a historic time. England has always been a slightly peculiar football nation because it's the home of football, but it's not a big football nation the same way that Germany or Italy or Brazil are, for whom matches like this are a bit more commonplace. I mean, a World Cup semi-final is always special, but when you've only ever got to three in your entire history, that makes it super special. And I think what's really helpful and really positive is that because the expectations around the team were, I wouldn't say they were low, but generally speaking, people thought, you know, this team is not going to the World Cup to win it. They get a good run, quarters, maybe semis. So I think that means that the players can go into this game in a slightly more relaxed state of mind, if we can talk about a World Cup semi-final in those terms, knowing that there is just this wall-to-wall positivity about the tournament they've had, about the football they've played, and and also in the knowledge that whatever happens, okay, if they lose 8-0, we might have to revisit this opinion. But generally speaking, England's tournament is already a success. You know, the experience that people in England have had of following this team in this incredible heatwave we've been having, you know, that incredible shootout against Colombia, it's, it, it feels quite win-win. Um, I, I suppose against that, you'd say, well, England, if they were coming up against a superpower and to lose, you'd accept that. I think if they were to lose to Croatia, who as good as they are, are not a superpower, there'd be some disappointment. But I think generally speaking, the the attitude will be will be a positive, you know, and relatively relaxed one. In many ways, the biggest opponent that England have beaten is themselves. Mm. Well, Tom, Croatia are the country that gave us this. From England, Gary Neville, the back pass. Oh. Robinson with the whiff. Croatia with a second goal, and Slavan Bilic loves it. An own goal tagged onto Gary Neville. And also this. Seconds left. Gerard. Everybody's gone forward for England. Away by Serna. Rakitic. And England are out of the European Championships. 
but we've also given them moments like this. Rooney, lovely ball, it's Walcott, it couldn't be, could it? It is, you know, it's a hat-trick for Theo Walcott! Just sensational! Theo Walcott hat-trick and goal machine, yes. What's in store this time round? Let's get a local perspective now from our man in Croatia, Juraj Vidoliak. You're right, I don't know if anyone's told Croatia, but football's coming home. Or, or do you think you've got narrative on your side as well? It's more like, um, you know, the draw has been uh, quite inclined towards Croatia. You have to be uh, kind of objective about it. I mean, to, to get into the semis, you have to pass uh, Denmark and Russia, which are obviously themes with qualities, but they are far off the, the likes of, I don't know, Belgium, France or uh, Brazil or the teams that you could end up with. So, yeah, England is um, the first, like, uh, historic powerhouse en route to final after the Argentina game, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, people are really uh, uh, seeing this as a, as a huge game and a huge opportunity. Objectively, how is the team going to be after going to 120 minutes and penalties against both Denmark and Russia? Uh, yeah, that's perhaps one of the problems. Um, obviously, Shime Versalco isn't going to make it uh, as far as the latest info, info are coming from Russia. Uh, he sustained a knee injury uh, during the match v Russia, and um, he won't be fit to start tomorrow. Um, that would mean uh, Vedran Chorluka. He'll probably, the veteran centre-back, will start the match, and that could be... A good opportunity for England. So, yeah, um, I mean, uh, that perhaps prevents Croatia from uh, holding a high line uh, because obviously they'll leave a lot of space behind the back of uh, the, their, their back line. And Choluka isn't really the fastest one to cover it in case of some emergency or a long ball or a quick counter. Who's the England player that you think will be most on Dalic's mind coming into this? Well, seeing the Russia game, you could uh, perhaps see that we often have trouble on the left flank uh, if Perisic is not involved in his defensive role, in his defensive duties. Uh, I think uh, the right side will be... The England players will probably target... The player will probably target uh, our left flank. If Vida goes ahead to start as a right-back, if Choluca manages to start as a centre-back, I'll probably reckon that both flanks will be really overwhelmed and that England will use their focus to uh, put substantial amount of pressure on Croatia's full-backs. That said, I reckon that both wingers will probably decide the match in England's favour. What's your prediction then, Yuri? Well, it's a really close tie. Uh, I mean, one mistake could really decide the match. And I believe that, uh, talking about Croatia, I believe that this will be a far more interesting game to watch than the Russia and Denmark game matches were. It's a different profile of uh, an, uh, the opponent, and uh, England is the opponent that actually suits Croatia better than those types of teams. So, yeah, I wouldn't make any uh, clear-cut predictions. Listeners, we're down to the business end of the World Cup, and while we give you the game-by-game analysis for a broader cultural and sociological view of the key narratives from Russia and elsewhere, check out the current series of the Game of Our Lives podcast. 
Join host David Goldblatt as he explores issues such as the tensions between Russia and FIFA, how presidential and governmental politics across the world are intertwined with the greatest sporting tournament on earth, and with the likes of Germany, Spain and Argentina having exited the tournament early and Italy and Holland never having qualified in the first place, how this has truly been the World Cup of the underdog. Search for The Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. Well, Wednesday night it's all happening and you know that straight after the final whistle has blown, whatever the outcome, we're going to be here bringing our thoughts on what has happened, who's going to be in the final, all that kind of thing. Listeners, make sure that you join us for that late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Let's get a quick check on odds for these final days of the World Cup. Producer Ben has dialed up our friends at Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's get straight to business here. We're talking about the right to play France in the World Cup final is between England and Croatia. Who's going to do it? Yeah, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Last time I was on this pod, I was giddy of excitement. I was convinced it was coming home. Now I am racked with angst because it really is in our hands. England to beat Croatia is 12 to 5. Croatia to beat England is 21 to 10. Extra time, which seems inevitable at this stage, is two to one. I'm barely able to keep myself together. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Nothing more to say, Michael Cox, or is there? Can I say one more thing? It's Please very do. quick. Yeah. What do the four semi-finalists have in common in um, this tournament? Uh Oh, can I guess? Is it? Would I know? Well, they all won their first two group games and they rested players for their third group game. Ooh. So all those people who spoke so much about momentum, maybe it's a factor, but it's probably not as much of a factor as having fresh legs. Damn. Good one. Tom, anything you want to throw in at this point? Any little nugget you saved for how the could, How could I possibly try and compete with that? Right. OK. If only we'd done the same with our panel, but we'd been using our strongest... Strongest people every night. <laughs> Let's see what they've got left for this biggest podcast really ever. They'll be coming up next. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. I think we might see you again on Quite Sunday. Is that right? Possibly. Okay. Yes. Well, we'll look out for that. James Horncastle, you're back on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see what the mood is like in 24 hours. Many thanks for today, and you, Tom, and you, Michael, and you, listener. Peace out. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, 
Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.